0: Lord, make me an instrument of your peace in this peaceless world in which we now live. Just please make me an instrument. Your hands, your voice, your, your presence. Make me an instrument of your peace. Let's pray. Oh, God, that is our prayer, what Katya just saying? Make us instruments exiles as we are, make us instruments of your peace on earth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Everybody knows the ancient proverb, don't you? The enemy of my enemy is my friend. We all know it. The whole world knows it. And we all think it came from the Arabs. Not so. Fourth century B.C., India, the Sanskrit military strategy book carries it. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Two parties with a mutual enemy do well to join together in opposition to that enemy. That's what it means. Actually, come to find out it's not 4th century B.C., it's way back to ancient Israel. Ancient Israel with the nemesis neighbor named Syria. Israel and Syria. Nothing's changed, has it? Israel and Syria. And out of that moment, a stunning portrayal of God that you may never have seen before in your life. So, I'm inviting you right now to open your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 5. Let's go. Syria and Israel. So, what's new? Ah, a picture of God. A picture of God. 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. I'll be in the New International Version today. Whatever translation you have on that phone or in your Bible, that works. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. We're just going to change that always to Syria because it's present day Syria. He was a great man. Here come some credentials now. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. Hit the pause button right there. What do we know about Naaman? He was commander of the Syrian armies. Was he a five-star general like General Dwight D. Eisenhower, whom we've all remembered this last week as we celebrated the 75th anniversary of the Normandy invasion? Was he a five-star general? We don't know. Highly respected great man, outstanding citizen in his country, but the story immediately becomes conflicted because I want you to catch the next line. Look at this. So he's all of that. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. Now, here it comes. Because through him... That would be this thoroughly thoroughbred, five-star pagan general named Naaman. Through him, the Lord. And that would be the Lord God Yahweh, the Covenant Creator God, the, father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Through the pagan, the God of Israel, did what? Had given victory to Syria. <laughs> the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And that's what's going on here. And we're kind of saying, oh, well, good, Syria took care of all the other threatening enemies around Israel. Oh, the question really becomes conflicted and very touchy when we ask the question, did Syria take care of Israel? And yes, it did. Sometimes the enemy of my enemy is my friend means that God will take his people who are living in a morally corrupt culture and who have unwittingly turned to the gods and goddesses of that culture, he'll have to take an enemy to get their attention and draw them back from the downward spiral they are on spiritually. That's what's going on here. Hey, Listen, with with ancient Babylon, did God use Babylon to kind of turn Israel around? Oh, yes, He did. Question, will God use modern Babylon, and everybody knows who modern Babylon is, will God use modern Babylon to do the same, to withdraw His people from a morally bankrupt culture that they have gotten sucked into and have forgotten they are exiles of the Most High God? Will God do it again? Hmm. Second Kings, chapter 5, verse 1, again. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Syria. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Oh, no. The dreaded scourge of the Middle East, the incurable scourge of Naaman's generation, that five-star general with all the credentials in the world can't stop leprosy from conquering him, and he's got it. And the plot thickens, because as it turns out, that Naaman, in one of his terrorist attacks on Israel, had a guerrilla band that, that pounced on a hapless Jewish or Israelite village, grabbing a bunch of the kids. They disappear into the night, and Naaman gets first pick. So he takes that little girl right there from that village, and she will be the slave of my lovely wife. What is Naaman's wife's name? Mrs. Naaman. (laughs) Mrs. Naaman gets the little girl Oh, my. Who is this little girl? We don't know. Where is she from? We don't know. Who are her parents? We don't know. How far was she in school? We don't know. How old is she? We do not know. All we know is this, that she is now the captive slave of the hated Syrian general and his wife. That's what we know. She has every right to sabotage her mistress and master whenever she can. Some sort of odious assignment is being given to me, a child of God. She could have just thrown a tizzy fit and said, I won't do it. But God bless her parents, whoever they were, because they did not raise an urchin. My folks threatened that I was becoming fast an urchin. You don't know what an urchin is, but back then they did. She was a courteous girl. She was a polite girl. She was an obedient girl who knew well the religion of her family and knew the God of her family religion. Oh, my. Let's put these words from prophets and kings on the screen. This is something else. Take a look at this. Any young parents here? Any young parents here? Any young fathers? Hey, hey, Dad, listen. Read this on the screen. The conduct of the captive maid the way she bore herself in that heathen home is a strong witness to the power of early home training. There is no higher trust than that committed to fathers and mothers in the care and training of their children. Keep reading. Boy, this is dynamite. Parents who impart to the child such a gift have endowed their child a treasure more precious than the wealth of all the ages, a treasure as enduring as eternity. So here's the big question that's begging to be asked. Were your children or my grandchildren carried off into captivity today, today, to an exiled home, an enemy home, how would our children behave? Would our children, like this little Jewish maiden, be loyal, remain loyal to the God of their father and mother? You say, Dwight, I wish you really hadn't put it that way, because I'm not sure it's, it's, it's that good an answer. No, I'm just, I'm just saying. And if, you won't, if you're not sure that you could say yes, oh, I know she'd stay true, I know he'd stay true. If you're not sure, then here's, here's a question for you, Mama. Then what are we going to do? We who have the ability, we who have the responsibility, what are we going to do for this child that you're concerned about, this grandchild that I'm concerned about? What shall we do? <laughs> well, I would say, you say to me, I take advantage of Sabbath school. I'd be sending my kids to Sabbath school. Well, that's a great... That's a beautiful strategy. Good for you. Beautiful idea. But what are you going to do for the other six days of the week? Well, my kids are going to get old enough to go to church school, and I'll send my kids. I'll send my grandkids to church school. I'll make sure that they go to a church school. Well, that's good, too. That's a, that's a, that's a great strategy. We have a little store right across the street up here called uh, across the street uh, called the ABC Christian Bookstore. There are shelves of books for children that you can go, Papa, and take some of your hard-earned money, and you put it down, and you say, I want that book, that book, that book, and that book. Why? Because you're going to read these stories to your children every night when they go to bed. You're putting something in their minds every night. This little maiden, I don't know what her parents did with her, but she is unflinching in her loyalty to the God the, the god of her father and mother. Mm. Verse two. Come on. Now bands of raiders from Syria had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, "Ah, oh, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of leprosy." There it is. The little girl's very short testimony. I wish you knew my God and the prophet that works for my God, because if you did, your husband would be healed of leprosy. That was it. (laughs) Instead of wishing her master ill, she wishes him well. And it touches the heart of Mrs. Naaman. I mean, the little girl could have prayed that her God would curse this general, kill him. But instead, she tears a page from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount 800 years before Jesus even spoke the words on the screen from the Sermon on the Mount. But I tell you, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Keep going. Your Father causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God is no respecter of persons. His love is poured out both on the evil and the good, the righteous and the unrighteous. Today in your neighborhood. Come on, I'm, just think your neighborhood right now. It doesn't matter how godless your neighbors are. It doesn't matter how godless your colleagues on the job are. It doesn't matter. Sometimes I sit on a plane by somebody I don't know, but by what he's reading, by what he's watching, by what he's drinking, I'm saying, this is a waste of my time. I'm not gonna witness this guy. He's gone. Who am I to make that judgment? If God is no respecter of persons, why would I suddenly become a respecter of persons? That's crazy. She's in a pagan home with a polytheistic, heathen master and mistress. And the little girl raises her hand and says, Ooh, I wish you knew my God. She's in exile. Hey, guess what, folks? Guess what? By very definition, do you know what the word "exile" means? It means you live in the land of the captor. You're not at home. We are not at home. We are living right now in the land of the captor. The prince of, Eel, uh, the, the prince of the world self-styled declares, "This is my place. We're in his place right now. We're exiles, all of us. Just like that little maiden, I guess we just. Say a word. Oh, I wish you knew my God, who could help you, who could heal you. I wish you knew Him, who loves you like I do. Verse 4. So... Mrs. So, the little girl gives the testimony to Mrs. Naaman. Mrs. Naaman gives it to Mr. Naaman. And Mr. Naaman, verse 4, went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. Now, hold on. Do you, know, do you understand what's happening here? Because this is what happens to simple testimonies. They simply get passed on. The world is so faithless today. This godless, faithless culture that we live in is hungry for faith. It is hungry for God. And if somebody raises her hand and says, Excuse me, excuse me, can I, can I say something? Just like, just like a parched desert, it, the world will drink it up. And that little testimony will get passed on from person to person to person. You have no idea where your testimony is going. Once it's out of your lips, don't worry about it. But Naaman goes to the king. Oh, unbelievable. Listen, you'll never know where your testimony ends up. I'll make this promise to you right now in front of everybody. I'll tell you where it ends up if you don't share it. Nowhere. Nowhere. Because you didn't open your mouth. You got to share it. Guess what? Never forget. Never forget this. Let's go to boxing now. Come on, everybody knows boxing. One-two punch. One-two, okay? So it could be a right-left or it could be a left-right. Isn't that what they call it? A one-two punch. You are the one-two punch, but you're the one. Your testimony is the first punch. And right behind you comes the Holy Spirit with His convincing, convincing power. He could do it Himself, but He needs the first punch. One-two. Sorry to make this into martial arts, but uh, anybody want to come up here and let's try this? One, two. See? You're one. Don't say, God, you be one, and I'll go two. Let's switch. No. He said, You gotta open this door, buddy. Open the door. I'm right there. One, two. Hmm. And even when it appears that your testimony has fallen on deaf ears and you're being blown off or ignored, never forget the words of Sidlow Baxter. Oh, I wish you could scribble this down fast enough and have it in your Bible like I have it in my Bible. I carry this with me in all my Bibles. I'll put it on the screen for you. Sidlo Baxter. They may spurn our appeals, reject our message, oppose our arguments, despise our own persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. You share that one, and then you pray. You just pray. (laughs) They can spurn you and blow you out of the water and just say, but they can't resist what you unleash through your praying. Oh, my. The power of an exile's prayer, to back up the power of an exile's testimony. Don't you think that little Israelite maiden is praying for General Naaman every single day to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Of course she is. Because when people go through flux... When people go through radical change, suddenly now they're wide open. You go through a divorce. Your friend goes through a divorce. That friend right now is wide open to God, to anything. You get canned from your job. That that friend who's just been let go is wide open right now. You, You contract a disease. That friend right now wide open. The paradigm has shifted. You got thrown out of school. Right now, that friend of yours is wide open. Flux is what God majors in. Now, listen very carefully. God does not cause these radical fluxes or changes. God didn't cause you to get the disease. He didn't cause you to get fired. But you know what? God never misses a golden opportunity, and He takes every flux and every change, and He says, I'll use that. Thank you. And God moves in. Your testimony is in a time of flux. Naaman is open where he would never have been open four months ago. He's wide open now. Wow, what a guy. So it bears repeating. God really does business with pagans, He just loves doing business with pagans. That's what's happening here. Drop down to verse 4 again. Uh, So Naaman went to his master and told him about the girl, what the the, the little girl from Israel had said. And now here comes King Ben-Hadad. By all means, go, the king of Syria replied. I will will send a letter to the king of Israel. So I I just love this. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold. This is a lot of money. And ten cents of clothing. And the letter from Ben-Hadad that he took with him to the king of Israel read, with this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. You cure him or I'll kill you. That's how the king, because some believers aren't really believers. They're only believers in name. They show up in church, but they don't believe for six days of the week. They just know. They're, they're, they're practical atheists. And that's the king of Israel. He just, he's just he starts hyperventilating. What have they done to me? Wow! let's read with (laughs) this poor king. He was some dude. Verse 7. And as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tears his robes and he says, Yo, am I God? He thinks it's all about him. Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to be someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? I know what he's doing. He is trying to pick a quarrel with me. Sounds like Colonel Klink and uh, Hogan's Heroes. He's <laughs> trying to pick a fight with me. Oh, my. Unbelievable. Somehow, I don't know how, Elisha gets word of the message from the Syrian king, and Elijah sends a mes- Elisha sends a message to the king of Israel. Hey, listen, take a chill pill. Cool. Relax. If you don't know what to do with this pagan, send him to me. I'll tell him about the God of Israel, and I'll make sure he gets healed by the God of Israel. And so Naaman goes with his chair and his attending warriors. The whole band of them show up in the little driveway of the prophet's tiny little house, and they're all impatiently stamping around those stallions. And, you know, Elisha is not on a head trip, because if he were on a head trip, I want to hang around important people. He would have shown up himself. No, he says, Hey, servant, go, go see, go, go see uh, General Naaman, please. So the servant, servant comes. He said, I Come, I have a message for you. Glad to see you. You see that river over there? It's called the Jordan River. You will go in that river, and you will wash yourself seven times, and then you'll be healed. Goodbye. And you left. <laughs> and Naaman, who is so schooled in military protocol... Explodes. Talking about anger management issues. He's got a huge problem here. He explodes. There's nobody around but his attendants. And he's saying, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. It's, look, we, got, in, in, we, we have clear water in Damascus, every river. And so I come over here, and I'm thinking, the man of God is gonna come out, he's gonna rub his little hand all over my white spots. And he's gonna say, gone, and they're gonna be gone. Instead, no, what does he tell me? I gotta go to that murky, muddy Jordan River, and I gotta take a bath seven times. I'm not gonna do it. And the last line of verse 12, I'll put it on the screen for you, the last line of verse 12. Maybe I'm not going to put it on the screen for you. Is it on the screen? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, the last line reads. Oh, I didn't even know what it reads. I must have well looked at verse 12. The last line of verse 12. Oh, yeah, here it is. So he turned, <laughs> there it is, so he turned and went off, he went off in a rage. Anger management issues for sure. Some human beings have that weakness, and they do need healing, and the good news is that the God of Israel can heal the plague of anger management. Takes a little work. Cooperation. Now we get to verse 13. So here comes now the servants. We've had the explosive uh, uh, bombshell, and now Naaman's servants, verse 13, went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than what he, when, when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So they convinced Naaman, verse 14, and he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. Seven times. Now, my dad is a ch- was a children's storyteller. I mean, he just... Every night, we'd ask for a different Bible story, and he would tell, either about himself as a boy or Bible stories. And how many times have we asked him to tell the story of Naaman? And my dad would just really dramatize it just right down to the last second. So, if there are seven times, it's gonna take five minutes to tell you about the seven times down because every time Naaman comes up, he's looking, oh, I told you, I told you. The, the spots are still there. And the servants are all on the shore. He comes up. He's looking at, ah, oh, I told you, this rotten river. Anyway, Dad would go, that, go through that until the seventh time. The seventh time. And of course, we're all on the edge of our beds now because the seventh time Naaman goes down, and he goes under that muddy water. And when he comes up, there's water pouring all down him. And when Naaman looks down on his arms, Did you you catch that line? Where where is it? Let's put that one on the screen. His flesh was restored and became clean like that of a what? See those two little boys right there? He had flesh like those two little boys. Just clean, soft, suppulent, young again. Oh, and he must have been whooping and hollering in Syrian. Just thrilled with what the God of Israel has done. He comes up out of that water. Boy, is that the gospel message or what? He comes up out of that water, and He is clean. He is clean. Do you know that when you come to Jesus and you go under the water, and Jesus and, His, and His, His righteousness, His love that surrounds you, when you go under the water, you come up clean. Though your sins are as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they'll be as wool. You come up clean. Reminds me of an old English folk song that goes like this. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Sing the gospel now. Lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. And sinners plunged beneath that flood, lose all their guilty states. One small testimony and a mighty miracle in response. Wow. Oh, name it has to go back to the prophet and so he does where is this verse verse uh, 15 then naaman And all his attendants went back to the man of God, and he stood before Elisha, and he said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel, so please accept a gift from your servant. Elisha says, Nothing from me, but I want you to catch those words. Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. We have heard these words before. They are the very words of a pagan king named Nebuchadnezzar. They are the very words of a pagan king named Darius. They are the very words words of a pagan king of Nineveh, the same words spoken by the pagan general, yes, sir, Naaman. Now I know there is no God, no God, in all the world except in Israel. What a hundred evangelistic campaigns could not achieve, a little girl's testimony accomplishes. Man, an exile. Don't underestimate the power of your exilehood. You are an exile on purpose because God invented you in exile. He needs exiles. Some of them are the only ones that can get to a king, but it starts in the home with a tiny little testimony that just keeps getting past. Wow. Salvation of public enemy, pagan public enemy number one. And it's right here in this fascinating, fascinating story, where Naaman gets saved, that we see a side of God that we have not seen before, I predict. A side of God. And I want you to catch this before we leave, because Naaman makes a very unusual request. Okay, so watch this. This is verse 17. Now, Naaman says, okay, if you're not gonna accept my gift, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth... Now, that's dirt, as in dirt. Let me be given as much dirt as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. What I need, because Naaman believes in regional gods, and he believes God, Yahweh, is the regional God of Israel. What I need, sir is that I need dirt from right here, and I'm taking it to my backyard, and I'm going to spread this dirt on my backyard, and I'm going to stand on that dirt, and when I'm standing on the dirt of Israel, I'm going to call on the God of Israel and worship Him. That's what I need. Can I have some dirt? And Elisha says, yeah. Go ahead. It's unbelievable. Now, question. Is God a localized, regionalized... God? Nope, never has been, never will be. Does God, did God require this of Naaman? Nope, never has and never will. Then why did the prophet Elisha not correct Naaman and say, stop, stop, let me tell you something? Because God, listen, 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 God takes your friends, God takes your neighbors. He takes your classmates. He takes your associates. He takes them where they are and not where you are. Where they are. That's what he's cared about. He doesn't care where you are. I take him where they are. My, 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 my. And it gets even more stunning. Which, by the way, means that what's vital for you may not be important for them. hmm What you think is so almighty essential may not be for them. You have a problem with that? You know what Elisha says? You know what Elisha says? Verse 19. You know what Elisha says? He says, Go in peace. Go in peace. What's up with that? Oh, you haven't heard what he... what Naaman just proposed to him. Oh, this one is something else. Look at verse 18. Look at verse 18. But, Naaman goes on, May the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimon to bow down, And he is leaning on my arm, and I have to bow there also when I bow down in the temple of Ramon. May the Lord God forgive your servant for doing this. I don't believe it for a moment. I don't believe this is a God. I don't even believe in that God anymore. I believe in the God of Israel. But listen, I have to do this. It's my job. I have to do this. What does the prophet say? Go in peace. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No correction. No catechization. Nothing. Go ahead. Go in peace. Wow. You know what, folks? Some of us get ourselves in trouble by insisting that our children or our colleagues or our neighbors or our friends live up to the light we have. You live up to my light. You know why we do that? Because misery loves company. (laughs) That's exactly why. Not so with God. Not so with the man or the woman of God. Look, at if the exiles Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had done the same thing, just bowed down, said, in my heart, I'm fine. I got to do this to stay alive. Wrong. They already know you are the servant of the Most High God. You can't do that. They couldn't. But when a brand-new believer, brand-new baby believer says, I got to do this, God says, go in peace. Go on. Isn't that something? what we work so hard to require everybody else to decide on because i had to do it you have to do it too what we work so hard on you know why because god is a god of wise exceptions mhm god is a god of gradual maturation let it grow let it grow god is a god of gracious tolerance God is a God of understanding the circumstances, and in God's economy, one size does not fit all. We get in trouble when we insist that it does. (laughs) Go in peace. To demand of pagans what it has taken you years to come to understand, and you still don't understand it. But to demand it of them. Where's the logic in that? Ah, uh, The God who makes compassionate allowance for what the Germans call our "Sittenleben," our particular unique situation, my spirituality, God makes full allowance for that, or the lack of it, God makes full allowance for that. He adjusts his expectations accordingly. And listen, listen to this. If God treats us that way, why don't we treat each other the same way? Why don't we treat each other the same way? Cut them some slack. Why does everybody have to do it your way? Elisha says, go in peace. Shalom. Bye-bye. <laughs> that was it. All right. Judge not that you be not judged, because nobody lo- knows a life story like God does. You don't, and neither do I. This much is clear. What you have that is so special <laughs> is your personal testimony, and it is so unique that the way you give it, with that smile on your face, that is worth everything to the kingdom of heaven. You just use the lips and you say something about what Jesus means to you. You might not think of anything to say, because, Dwight, look, at I don't know the verses. What if they ask me a question? I don't know all the teachings even. How am I supposed to be able to witness when I can't know this? Forget it. We have, made, we have become paralyzed by our misconceptions of witnessing to the place. We are dumb, meaning mum. Right? We don't talk. I just live and let live. Good night, Dwight. I put you right there for this moment in your mom. What can I tell them? What can I tell them? Oh, how I love Jesus. Well, yeah, but they're gonna ask me why. Well, because He first loves me. That's it. You just tell them you love Jesus. Why do you love Jesus? Because He loves me. Do you know how many people go to bed at night not loved? Guilt-ridden ball and chain around their ankles. They go to bed every night feeling they are unloved by the forces of the universe. And you go to bed every night knowing you're loved, and your guilt is gone because you dismiss it. You dismiss it to the care of the Lord Jesus, and you come up out of that water cleansed. Every single day, you come up cleansed. And they would die to have what you have. You just have to tell them what you have, or they won't ask for it. If you don't tell them, they won't ask. Oh, how I love Jesus. Yeah, but why? Because He first loved me. I'm a loved guy. Look at me. I'm such a weirdo, but I'm a loved guy. Well, if God could love a weirdo like you, He could probably love me. That's the point. Hmm. So here's the take-home line. Then I'll sit down. Here's the take-home line. Tell them who you know, and He will tell them what to know. Put that on the screen, please. Tell them who you know, and He will tell them what to know. Get it off of your plate. You're not responsible for informing the whole world of every belief system in the Scriptures. Forget it. You just tell them who you know, and He will tell them what to know. Elisha does not correct Naaman. He doesn't tell him a thing. Go in peace. God will will take care of you. God God knows you. He'll take care of you. Tell him who you know. And He will tell them what to know." That's what it means. It's that simple. It's no wonder the mighty apocalypse ends with this line describing the last generation of Jesus' friends on Earth. I love this. Uh, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. Let's read it out loud together. They triumphed over the dragon. Oh, time out, time out. Who's the dragon? Who's the dragon? Who's the dragon? That's the Satan. That's the devil. That's the apocalyptic symbol of Satan, all right? So the followers of Jesus... We'll read it again now. "...they triumphed over the dragon by the blood of the Lamb. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins." So that's the gospel, all right? Let's Let's do it one more time. "...they triumphed over the dragon by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony." That's how you win. You're not only blessing somebody else, you're getting blessed into protection. You're getting blessed into guardianship. You're blessed. Yeah, that's it, folks. I wish it were more complicated, because then you'd really say, oh, I got to get this. (laughs) It's not. It's simple, so you can start doing it. It's time for the exiles to rise up one last time across this planet. And I say, let's start at Bering Springs. What do you say? Come on. Let's do Take your Connect card. There should be one attached to your worship bulletin there, right at the bottom. It's perforated. Grab it. Those of you watching online right now, the Connect card is where you're at right now. You can get an electronic Connect card. We get Connect cards from people all over the world, because they're watching, and they want to respond as well. Okay. And we have guests here today. The Connect card at the bottom, guests. Fill this out. We do this every week. But put in the information you're comfortable with, and put an email address there if you want us to be in touch. Turn the card over now. On the back side, it says, My next step today is... And there are three little boxes. Box number one, I want Jesus to give me a testimony I can share for Him daily. Who doesn't want that testimony? He'll give it to you. You say, Jesus, I'm not really clear on my testimony. He said, oh, I'll make it clear. Ask me for it. Ask me for it. I'll give you a testimony. All right? Box number one, just ask Him. I want Jesus to give me a daily testimony. Box number two, I look forward to being part of Bring a Friend to Church Day, Sabbath, August 31. It's the first Sabbath of the new school year. We will be back in the beautiful new Pioneer Memorial Church on the campus of Andrews University. We're gonna be inviting people all across this community to come to share that, that joyous moment with us. You have friends that you're gonna be able to just say, yo, this is all you have to say. Would you please come with me? I mean, that's it. They're not rejecting you or accepting you. It's about them coming with you to church. I want to look forward to being a part of Bring a Friend to Church Day, Sabbath, August 31. You're gonna be hearing more and more about this as we go. And then, final box, I want to follow Jesus in baptism. I want to go under that water, and I want to come up clean. I want to go under that water, like Naaman, and I want to come up clean. If you've not been baptized yet, that's what baptism is. You go under the water, and you come up clean in Christ, cleansed like Naaman. And put a check mark there. We're having this beautiful outdoor baptism. Last week we had one, but this is going to be completely different because we're all going to be around that little pool. We're going to be out there together on July twenty. That Sabbath morning. So if you want to be a part of it, don't worry about the July twenty part. But if you want to follow Jesus in baptism, put a check mark there. Make sure we have your email address on the other side. We'll be in touch with you electronically. We can we can explore. What does this mean for you? You'll never regret it. Never, never, never. You love the whole world through a humble, simple testimony. Don't let us be afraid of that word. Like those demoniacs who beg to go with Jesus. Let us hear what Jesus said. To them. No, 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 guys. You're not coming with me. Go home to your family. Go home to your friends. Tell them what God has done for you. Father, that simple, we can do it by Your grace. Send us forth into a new week. Quiet, cheerful witnesses for Jesus. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.